Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Meese, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. So I actually had to copy paste the intro into this podcast episode because there's so much noise in my house right now and going on outside that it's pretty much impossible to record without it. And doing the intro for the podcast with, sorry, I just... I'm sorry, there's again like proof of more noise. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I, I would like if I were trying to record the intro, it just wouldn't have worked um, without having to start over and over and over. And nobody has time for that, so I just copy pasted it into this episode. <sighs> so anyway, um, this is a comrade mommy episode. I think fittingly because uh, my child will was screaming in the background, probably will continue to scream in the background throughout this recording. Um, so you may hear her and or my husband trying to get her to calm down, um, in the background. And the irony is like, I don't want to say irony. It's not an irony because again, you know, we live, we live in like a row house, saw house. So like there are multiple floors, but you hear everything. I mean, it's as if we're in a ranch style. It doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, and, so there's just noise all the time. And I think one of the biggest challenges about the pandemic is like, there's literally no peace ever for me, which is a strange feeling. I mean, I know that when you have kids, you know, for the most part, you're going to have a lot of noise in the house in general. That's just how things go. But, um, under normal circumstances, you know, people will say things like, Oh, you know, when you have a kid, like take a couple days to yourself or take a day to yourself or like, send her off to grandma's house or like have your husband watch her or whatever. Um, while you go get your nails done or go get your hair done or like go see a movie or whatever. But the problem is like the outside right now is dangerous. (laughs) Like going to see a movie, going out to eat, going to get your nails done, all these like seemingly what would normally be deemed, you know, frivolous activities are, um, kind of serious right now in terms of risk, you know, and because of the pandemic and, um, yeah, you could have a N95 mask on or whatever, but that's not fun either. Right. I mean, as someone who wore N95s pretty much every day that I taught, um, over the past semester, it's not fun. I mean, they hurt, they, it's hard to breathe in them comfortably. Your face sweats, you get breakouts and it's just awful. Like I, I don't recommend it, um, at least insofar as something you would do in your leisure time. It's something that you're wearing because of an emergency situation, right? Um, but if I want to relax, it's not something that I want to have on my face. So I wouldn't engage in an activity that would require me to be masked if I wanted to relax um, during a pandemic. So that basically means, in other words, like not leaving the house uh, to do those things. Relaxing comes somewhat I guess when my daughter sleeps, but even then, you know, I'm, I'm doing work then. Like that's when I'm trying to get work done for academic stuff. That's when I'm trying to get housework done. That's when I'm doing all the work that I couldn't do during the day when I was taking care of her. So that's why when you all listen to these episodes and I always talk about, you know, having more than one shift, that's what I'm talking about. Cause like I'm working overnight 
I'm working with her during the day. I'm doing stuff in the afternoon when my husband is working with her. And then I'm doing stuff like after she goes to sleep. So it's really just like around the clock work. And then I nap in between what I call my shifts, you know. So um, anyway, <laughs> uh, and usually I should say usually what happens is things kind of bleed into one another. So even the times when my husband is supposed to be taking care of our daughter on his own, I end up taking care as well because she'll be screaming like she is right now and I'll have to intervene and try to help or figure out what's going on, um, give him guidance, get her to calm down. The other thing too is that she has a tendency to kind of like, she behaves differently with my husband almost entirely and part of that is his fault um, because of how he interacts with her um, and like not being fully prepared in some ways to, to address tantrums and things like that. Um, whereas I, I feel like I, you know, read and watch and listen to all sorts of advice, like all day long, literally on how to parent. And so part of, part of my job basically as a parent is to be up on those things on top of all my other work. So like literally when I'm cleaning, I'll be like, I'll be listening to a podcast or a vlog or whatever about dealing with tantrums or dealing with, you know, how to homeschool or whatever, just anything. Like I, I'm educating myself nonstop. Whereas, um, my husband is doing less of that and, you know, I'll send him videos all the time, but whether he watches them is hit or miss. Um, but even when he does watch them, regardless, you know, our daughter has kind of adapted a different set of behaviors with him versus me. And I hear that that's normal with, with many parents in general, like parents with many families, sorry. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I only have my family to, to speak on, so uh, that's what happens in this family. Um, my daughter is just like buck wild with him and like always just easily agitated. Um, and it could also be the time of day too. So like he gets, he's here working from home, but he generally finishes up with his work at like five thirty, five o'clock, between five and six usually. And that's when our daughter is starting to get more tired and like in the process of trying to wind down herself and like getting ready for dinner and things like that. So it could be a combination of different behavior with different parents, the time of day that he takes over, the types of activities he engages in with her and the way he speaks with her um, and interacts with her. Like So his body language versus my body language, etc. So there are a variety of variables and factors that go into this. Um, but basically, there is the long story short of this is there's no peace ever. And I think that's what further adds to some of the anger and frustration that I was talking about last night. You know, there's literally like no escape. Um, there's no downtime. There's despite all of the nonsense about self-care. And I say nonsense because it's just, it's very much a luxury. <laughs> like People are not taking into account, you know, all the things that go on in mother's lives, but especially in a pandemic, like there's for many of us who don't have additional help, um, you know, and especially God, if you're a single parent, I mean, don't even get me started on how much stress that much that must induce at this time. Um, but you know, <sighs> there is no time really for self care. Self care costs money. Self care costs takes time. Self care requires peace and quiet that may not exist in your household. Case in point here, you know, like so, it's really um, kind of frustrating to be told repeatedly, like just take some time to yourself and like just go do something you enjoy and it's like 
it's very difficult to find enjoyment in moments like these um, when you're, you know, like surrounded by illness and death and people flouting the rules that then lead to more illness and death. And, you know, it's just, it's just frustrating all around, but enough about that. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll get to it. I always, I always end up having like these 20 minute long intros about how crazy things are right now, but that's, that's life. Um, so anyway, getting to what I wanted to talk about today. Um, I hinted in last night's episode that I wanted to do an episode exclusively about racism, um, in mommy vlogs and like parenting social media. Um, but on top of that, I think one of the other things that I'm really fascinated by, um, in this sort of sphere of social media is the really dark sides of some of these parents. Um, there are things that I would say many things that they do not disclose in their vlogs, because again, going back to what I talked about last night with regard to the like the toxic positivity, you know, they want to represent themselves as perfect as if everything is fine all the time. You know, they even intentionally say like, we don't film our children having meltdowns because we want to respect their privacy or respect their moments of like, you know, having big emotions or whatever. And I'm like, that's cool. But that also then means that you are not portraying real life, right? I mean, toddlers will have like 20 meltdowns a day, 20 meltdowns in 30 freaking minutes, you know, <laughs> depending on your child. And sometimes, you know, as much as I understand the idea of like respecting the child's privacy, and I actually agree with that, but then I would say, you know, like, why are you filming your child at all? Which is a separate issue. But, you know, I think part of that is not just about respecting the child's privacy, but also about keeping up this facade that everything is perfect all the time, that everything is fine, and that there's never any drama or, you know, stress in the home because they're such perfect parents or such perfect moms that they wouldn't have to worry about that, right? Even though they might make mention of it, not seeing it really changes things, right? Not hearing it changes things. And it makes you, as a viewer or listener, sometimes feel like your life is not where it needs to be or your parenting style is not where it needs to be. Like you're doing something wrong and it sort of adds to the already existing, very powerful element of mom guilt, which many of you all know what that is when, it, as you hear this, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about. Um, some of it's personal, some of it's, a lot of it is external. Um, and sometimes, you know, like watching these vlogs and whatnot really just adds to that sense of mom guilt. Because you start questioning, what did I do wrong? What am I currently doing wrong? Why are my children not behaving in this way? Like these little perfect angels that never have meltdowns, that never get angry about anything, that never are, you know, temperamental, um, that never cry, and that will like sit there and patiently do their little activities. Meanwhile, in real life, obviously, these parents have taped and retaped and retaped and edited all of that stuff, right? So just know that like, it's okay to not have that kind of family environment at home. It's not realistic. But the reason I brought all of this up, of course, is to talk about the fact that um, there is a very big degree of, you know, just kind of papering over reality, despite these shows, vlogs, social media accounts supposedly demonstrating reality. 
And part of that papering over is often the jobs and engagements of their husbands, which I find very interesting because usually um, these sorts of shows or podcasts or whatever involve the mom. It's almost entirely the mom. You know, the mom is the one who is dedicating time and energy to this. And it's funny because a lot of the time, you know, the income, the revenue from these these shows and whatnot go back to the entire family. But they are technically, you know, the process is run by the mother almost exclusively. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I find interesting recently that I found out, which was kind of a shock to me, actually, I was really surprised and saddened by this. Um, but one of the mom vlogs that I actually really like, like it's a family show, not just the mom, but mainly the mom does everything. Let's just be honest. She really does. Um, she has like, She's a housewife, but she has like a thousand different things she does. Um, and I actually find her content really valuable and helpful. Um, and she's written about and talked about and like filmed about all sorts of things related to, you know, um, racial equity and peace and like the way that certain, you know, child rearing pedagogies really encourage that and whatnot. And then come to find out like I did a little sleuthing because she wrote something recently and like her last name was on I never knew her last name I mean, she's transparent about her identity and stuff it's not like she's she's hiding or something um, and I'm not going to mention her name I'm not trying to like blow up this woman's spot or whatever because like I said I think her her content is really valuable but um, come to find out her husband works for like a military contract <laughs> company um, he's he works for a weapons industry um company and like wow you know like how can you talk out of both sides of your mouth like that you know it's it's kind of shocking and disgusting actually like as much as I like their content or her content I should say it's also really frustrating that you know your husband is like a, a work he works and not just like a low-level worker I mean he's he's one of the like head people um for a, a, a sort of a um what do we call it like a uh, God, what's the word? Not the field, but, um, you know, just like one aspect of this company, um, a department. There we go. Oh my God. English. <laughs> like aspect. Um, yeah, I'm tired guys. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, he works for a very big department in this weapons manufacturing company. Um, and you know, you can't look at that and say that, on the one hand that that's your job and on the next talk about, you know, racial equity and peace and all that. It's like people have really big, um, I don't know, like moments of cognitive dissonance if they can say something like that. And they maybe think, I don't know if they really have a full understanding, I guess, of what they do <laughs> or they're just completely oblivious to what their work, like the harm that their work does. It's really strange. I don't, I don't fully know and like understand how people can work for these industries and not think to themselves, like maybe I'm doing something wrong. It just never crosses their mind. It crosses some of their minds, but many of them, it seems not to. And I don't fully understand that kind of mentality. Um, but you know, maybe I'm weird. And then there's, so on another, on another kind of like surprise shocker element, although I shouldn't be that surprised. That one I think was more hurtful for me, but one of them, one of the other surprises I should say is like, there's this company that makes, um, you know, like personal care products, uh, toiletries, things like that, you know, bath and body wash and shampoos and whatnot, um, for mainly for children. I mean, it's marketed towards, you know, babies and families. 
um, because a lot of it's, you know, hypoallergenic and good for sensitive skin and things like that. So anyway, long story short, turns out that the people who run the company are Mormons and seemingly based on their appearance in some of these videos, very conservative Mormons on top of just being Mormon, right? And while there's, you know, like nothing wrong with being religious, I know and I'm friends with several religious people and like have full respect for people who are religious, but I think just because of some of the elements of Mormonism in particular that have come out over recent years, um, including, you know, racism and rampant sexism and in, in various degrees, um, levels of fundamentalism, um, by some practices of it, et cetera, there's been questioning about like whether or not there's a full differentiation between the more radical, um, and fundamentalist elements of it and the people who are seemingly a little bit more secular. Um, and, you know, I don't know anything about these people, but I just, I think it's sort of interesting that this aspect of their lives, which they don't hide to be fully clear, but you do have to do a little research to find these things out. Um, but that, that, you know, we are buying products that then go back to fund these people's families and their wealth. And part of, um, Mormonism is really much, very much um, relies on this idea of sort of prosperity gospel. And, uh, you know, it just, <laughs> it kind of makes you think like, oh, do I want to keep supporting this company? Do I want to keep sending money, a lot of money, by the way, um, to this company, you know, to support their, their mission, basically, like where they're, where they're definitely going to tithe and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to keep doing that. And I've been looking for alternatives, but ultimately like every single product that you buy or use has pretty, unless you make it yourself pretty much. And even then some of the things that you're going to need to make those products, they just all have really like sketchy backgrounds and, and unfair work practices on top of potential fundamentalist beliefs of the owners, the companies, and just, just all around, like very difficult to avoid these sorts of what I would say, you know, conflicts of personal interest, right? Um, so I'm not here to blame anybody or to tell people to stop buying from these companies or watching these videos or whatever, because I think in many ways, we're all kind of compromised just by virtue of living and trying to function within a capitalist society, right? It kind of goes back to that idea of there being no such thing as conscious consumerism, um, just because of the roots of so many things that we buy and consume, being really tainted and um, deeply flawed uh, and well beyond just problematic, right? Like literally oppressive and harmful. Um, but it's also strange to have those feelings of sort of resignation when you think about the past and you think about, you know, I think about the things that I've studied and taught on, um, specifically slavery, for example, and you say to yourself, did people ever sit back and wonder you know, how they got their sugar, how they got their rubber, how they got their fur, how they got XYZ products um, off the backs of indigenous peoples whose land and labor they stole and indigenous people in Africa whose land and labor they stole and, and lives of all of these people that were stolen and, and destroyed. Um, you know, and I don't know. I mean, we, we have people now, myself included, who oppose what Amazon does, um, and don't agree with what they do to their workers for sure. But at the same time, rely on Amazon for products or rely on Walmart for products or target or fill in the blank, right? All of these corporations are ultimately the same, right? Um, 
And so I don't know, it's, it's very difficult to, to reckon with the reality that many of the things that we buy and consume, whether they be products, material goods, um, or, you know, virtual by way of social media, videos, learning tools, etc., um, you know, are compromised. So just do with that what you will. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to talk about really briefly is just the element of racism that's rampant in parenting and family vlogs. I've hinted and talked about uh, classism quite a bit in these vlogs and just like very um, ridiculous displays of wealth and abundance in some of these videos, sometimes wrapped up in much like the prosperity gospel that I mentioned before, these sorts of religious um, elements because a lot of these family vlogs are also very religious um, and tend to kind of um, infuse religious uh, philosophies into their messages about family and parenting and things like that. A lot of them you'll notice if you kind of like drill down are um, evangelicals or religious fundamentalists of one group or another. Um, but I think and I think that's one of the other things that kind of compelled me to create Comrade Mommy because I know that some of that rhetoric can be really alienating, even to people who are somewhat indifferent to religious stuff, but just who feel like, you know, they're just trying to learn how to parent. They're not, they don't want to be told like that they're going to hell because they're lesbians or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is, it's an unfair um, kind of setup. And I, and I think, you know, that's why I'm also, I tend to be drawn to more um, vlogs and things like that by people who are marginalized uh, or families who are made up of marginalized groups. And, uh, but that, that leads you into the area of interracial um, parenting, like interracial couples parenting or um, interracial adoptions. And both of these sets of vloggers, social media folks, etc., in the family circuit, some of them are great and, you know, not problematic at all uh, and just like neutral. And then some of them are incredibly racist to the degree that you're like, how is this happening? So one of the things that immediately comes to mind is the Stoffer family. Um, they, for those of you who may have never heard of them, consider yourself lucky. But I never watched the show, actually, but I found out about them through this particular controversy. So apparently they adopted a little boy from China, if I'm not mistaken, who had uh, some developmental issues. I don't, I think he was autistic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they knew that going into it and kind of made a big deal about it and, and used that as a way to kind of like pump up their channel. And then all of a sudden the little boy apparently was like, not in as many videos and just kind of started falling off in terms of, um, you know, like appearances in the videos and whatnot. And then it turned out that they had like given the kid away after having adopted. And I'm not talking about like giving him back to China or like finding his original birth parents or something. I'm talking about literally like giving him away to a different family. Like he's a freaking dog, you know? Um, and like, wow. right? Like, And they didn't give him to relatives or something. They gave him just like to a completely different family, which is wild. And then come to find out, like I did some research and this is apparently a thing. Like there are people giving away adopted kids on freaking Facebook. Like this is, whew, I don't even have the words for it. You know, like the degree of violence that it makes you want to commit is pretty much off the charts. But, um, 
I see often that there are many, 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 many cases on family Twitter or sorry, not family Twitter, but like family social media, family Instagram, family YouTube, whatever, where people are clearly adopting because they see kids of, they're always, you know, like kids of color from other countries, but they see them as like accessories, you know, um, kind of like how the Kardashians seem to see their own children, which is creepy, but, um, I won't go into that, but anyway, they're like, like animals to them, you like pets or accessories or something, which is freaking scary. Um, and then there's also the element of actual like interracial families where the parents seem to not only, um, like fetishize or exoticize their partner of the other race, but then they also seem to do the same thing with their kids. Now, not all of them do this, although sometimes what's interesting is you'll have a combo of like the toxic positivity, the hyper-religiosity, and the interracial like fetishist, fetishistic, whatever, objectification all rolled into one, which is kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, and it's just a really... It's a terrible combination and it's hard for me to watch actually because I myself, um, you know, obviously I'm a black woman. I'm involved in an interracial marriage. I have a child who's multiracial and like knowing that there are still people out there who are like basically pimping out their kids because they're quote unquote exotic is really disturbing to me because I recognize that these are the types of people that my daughter will be encountering and growing up among um, and having to kind of grapple with deal with like their weird distorted understandings of race versus what we're trying to foster at home, which is obviously a respect for her racial backgrounds, but not this sort of weird sense of specialness or exotic, whatever, you know, like about herself. Like, I don't want my child to think she's valuable just because she's multiracial or to think she's beautiful just because she's multiracial. And that just fits into like whatever's in style right now. I mean, this sort of stuff is, incredibly dangerous and toxic and like as someone who studies Brazil and knows all about how these sorts of weird notions about racial mixing and things like that are used in very violent ways especially towards um black and other ethnic minority groups or you know like not minority in terms of number but minority in terms of power um you know it's disturbing and I see so much of it with these families um there's one family in particular that always comes across. I don't have TikTok, but like they, they copy paste their TikToks onto Facebook and YouTube. I don't know their name, um, but it's a family with a white mom and a black. I think the dad is just a plain black. I don't know if he's biracial or not, but I think he's just black. Um, and they have many, many children. Uh, and one of the children, like the other, the other older children look like they're, you know, like you can look at them and say, okay, clearly they have one parent that's black and they're like biracial or black or whatever. And then the youngest child looks like to, so to, to black people, you would be able to look at the little boy and say, okay, yeah, clearly he's a little bit, he's like part black or whatever, or has a, has black parentage somewhere. Um, but the parents seem not to think this. Um, and they seem to think that he just looks completely white. And so they always kind of like show him, as like this shock or surprise, like, like, Oh, look, our kid is half black, but he looks white. And that I have learned is also some sort of weird subgenre of biracial Twitter and social media. Like I learned this the other day through Julesy, which I did not know was a thing. Um, I'll link that in the, in the <laughs> description box, but yeah, there's, 
apparently this whole trend on social media right now where people who are bi or multiracial are doing like gotcha moments where they surprise people and show their like black parent or black grandmother or something which is just awful like (laughs) it's awful in so many ways because it not only shows how little people in this country still understand about phenotype and the way it breaks down and like the way genes work um but then also just the simple fact that like why would you try to like sell that aspect of yourself like it's some sort of weird I, I don't understand it like I just I don't understand it I would not um maybe because I'm black and I don't have that experience of being biracial, but I just personally would not be interested in um, selling myself basically on the basis that I don't look like I'm black and that's supposed to be a surprise. Like that's a very strange way of thinking to me. Um, And it makes me wonder what kind of parents they had and what they were teaching them about race, um, if at all, right? So anyway, um, this family always kind of showcases their youngest child who's a little boy and he has like blonde curly hair and stuff. And they're always like, Oh, look at him, you know? And it just makes me sad because it makes me feel like, you know, again, they're, they're using their child for revenue, obviously, um, which is messed up. Um, but then they're also just kind of exploiting the fact that he quote unquote looks white and they're a multiracial family. And like, as a multiracial family, you would think or hope that they would have been prepared for the fact that like their children may look all kinds of different ways and they should embrace that instead of like kind of objectifying and exoticizing their own child on the basis of, and, and I guess the thing that also really bothers me about this, right, is that the specialness is about his whiteness. Um, and they don't do that with the children who look more black. They're not like, Oh, look at my kid. She looks so black, right? Like that, the, the specialness is about the whiteness. And I think obviously both sides of that would be wrong, um, in my opinion. But I think in particular, this, this hyper obsession with the, the biracial child who looks white, uh, hundred percent white or whatever is, is a problem. And I think will be detrimental to that child and perhaps the other family members as well as they get older and start to understand what's going on. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, when they get older and if, and when they have some sort of racial awakening, they're going to look at this and say, what the hell were you doing parents? You know, like they're going to look at their parents and ask them what the hell they were doing. And I think it will be unfortunate if they don't ever have that awakening and they're just constantly kind of, um, known for this, like have to deal with the rest perhaps of their life being showcased on the internet because just because their parents happen to be of a different racial group. Like, I don't know. It's a very strange dynamic to me. Um, and one that I find disturbing. I think also there are, there's still a lot of this, like, we're the best of both worlds. Look at us. We, we rescued these children from whatever country or look at us, you know, we, we came together despite all odds to like, love one another in this racist country. It's just like a lot of really, 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 really weird messaging. And in some ways, you know, people are trying to turn it into a positive, which, and and may question even my um, frustration with these sorts of messages because they would say, well, this is positive, Wendy. Like they're not being racist, right? Like they're, they're saying that like multiracial relationships are beautiful and that their children are these amazing products of this wonderful, you know, boundary breaking love. And I would say, okay, maybe, yeah, but, um, it's still fetishizing like the mixed quote unquote mixedness 
of these children and of their families. And, um, you know, what does that, what's the underside of that, right? Like, what does that say then about their, their understanding of people and especially black people and uh, non-white people, um, who are, uh, you know, like, what does it say about their understanding and value assigning to these kinds of people, right? Versus white people or mixed people, people that are infinitely closer to whiteness by virtue of what they look like. Um, so that's generally my, my issue with these, these, uh, family vlogs. And I think also just again, regardless of the racial makeup or ethnic makeup of the family, I just am always really frustrated and disturbed by people who use their children to make money. Like I, I, it, the child has no choice in it. Um, you know, even as they get older, we can kind of pretend like they have a choice, but they don't really have a choice if they've been raised in this kind of environment. Right. Um, you should not ever have to like rely on your child for financial solvency. In my opinion, um, I think it's predatory and I think it's harmful to the child because it puts undue pressure on them and burdens that they should not have to deal with at such a young age. Um, and they also just should not be prey <laughs> for the people on the internet, uh, whether to stalk them or harm them, make fun of them, harass them. You just never know. Like, I just, I feel like it's a really important to try to keep some things close to the chest. And, um, that particularly includes your child's identity. And that's just my opinion. But, um, I think for their safety and their general well-being, um, it's probably a better, a good idea to not, not have them out there like that and without their their consent, which I would argue that they can't give until they're 18. And once they're 18, if they want to be in a vlog, go, go ahead. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, and I think that's what's healthiest for kids. I also think that just in general, my discomfort with all of this is that it, I think just is a reminder of how family life is turned once again into this like consumer product, right? It's not just something that people are doing to educate others or to like, just because they, they're having fun and they wanted to post it, but it's because they know it will make them money. And I think that that is, that enters dangerous territory because then we already see what people do to make money or to get popular on social media. But then when it involves your kids, you know, like the challenges and things that they do and stuff like that, it's just unhealthy. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that, that marketing and commodifying your child is a good idea ever. Um, and you know, maybe that puts me in the minority because the world is changing and everything is on social media now. But I think in that respect, you know, we just don't have their consent and we just should not make our family lives entirely. Um, at least the, like the really personal aspects of our family lives, something for other people to consume and pay for. It's a little bit weird. Um, so anyway, those are my two cents or three or 40 cents, whatever on, on family vlogs and mom vlogs and some of the issues that I have with parenting stuff on social media. I think for a while I can kind of shelve this because I've hit a lot of different topics about, uh, the mom vlogs and like the parent social media, parenting and family social media. Um, for a while, I've kind of covered all of the, <laughs> I've uncovered all of the bricks or whatever, or the, the stones. Um, I'm sure there's more to talk about, but those are, I think I've, I've hit on all of them in my past few episodes of this uh, series. And so I can move on to other things, greater and bigger things after this. Um, but those are just some of the things that have been on my mind, because obviously having been 
um, in quarantine pretty much since my child was born. Seemingly, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube or I have it in the background and just like in general from watching reviews of products and watching stuff about raising your child or whenever you run across these, these shows and, or, you know, social media pages a lot. And some of them are just really disturbing and, and worth talking about. For, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe in hopes of other people coming to the point where they recognize and challenge some of the, the things, the norms that these these social media types are setting for families um, and what it may mean going forward. But I think also maybe just obviously to vent, right? That's, that's an element of it. Um, and to push back against what I think is becoming a very hegemonic aspect of family on social media content, which I think is frustrating and, and not healthy. Um, and we need to go for, I'm not saying necessarily more realistic, like people have a right to do their, their vlogging and whatnot, however they want. But I think we need to do it in ways that, you know, will be more realistic uh, in the sense that we're not hiding who we are, that we're not trying to put up a facade, that everything's perfect, um, that we're not lying about what we do job-wise or, like, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on that's shady and that needs to change. And I think that um, just as we're – sorry, again, my daughter. She's okay. Everything's fine. She's not being harmed or anything like that. She just – it's very vocal when she doesn't – get things her way and sometimes she even if she gets things her way she still yells so um but yeah I think just like we need to have we need to have things that are that are more honest um because just as we're critical of other media we have a right to be critical of these aspects of social media as well and I would argue even more so because of how much it influences the way that we parent um, so with that said, I'm going to close up this episode of Comrade Mommy and the Left Pocket Project podcast. Just as a reminder for everyone, of course, you can always find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you can find us on social media by looking up Left POC. You can also find us on Patreon where you can check out our older episodes and uh, many other goodies like readings and things like that um, by going to patreon.com slash left POC. Of course, always tell a friend, a family member, a colleague, and feel free to donate a dollar or more per month for us to keep things going and for us to keep things free, free, free. Uh, so with that said, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Um, be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon. I'm going to do a few more episodes in the lead up to New Year's and then I'm going to take a little bit of a break and then we're going to get started with uh, 2022 uh, Left Pocket Project.